Cry Malt has been supplying the best ingredients to Australian and New Zealand brewers for 30 years. Their range of malt, hops and yeast is sure to take your beer to the next level. Proud sponsors of Brews News and Beer as a Conversation since the very beginning. Learn more about Cry Malt at www.crymalt.com. part of the plan to put a brewery in but for many years it was just a plan it's a hundred percent acquisition of green beacon no we had a chat with everybody anyone would have seen this coming a mile away you know the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing oh yeah that's super simple and direct question it's always fun to get to speak about beer and that's what we're here to do talk about beer you may remember me from the uh, Radio Brews News uh, weekly podcast. Uh, I'm Australian Brews News Senior Journalist, Clabinet, And today with me, well, virtually, uh, I have Senior Brewer at Prancing Pony Brewery in the Adelaide Hills, Eden Pink. I believe she joined Prancing Pony about five years ago. Um, obviously, Prancing Pony, well known in the industry, uh, co-founded by Frank Sampson and Karina Steeb. Some great personalities in the industry. But it's a bit of an anniversary for Eden and obviously rising through the ranks. It's been a major achievement and there's now a beer named in your honour, Eden. So thank you very much for coming on. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you very much. Yeah, it's really exciting um, to have the opportunity to be here. So thank you so much for that. No worries at all. Um, And also to share my story about Prancing Pony. Absolutely. Yeah. Nice one. Be good. Let's start from the beginning then. Where have you come from? What's what's going on? Have you always been South Australia? Where did you start brewing? Come on, give me the whole bio. (laughs) Well, I grew up in England, um, moved over here with my family when I was about four years old. I was going to say you lost um, that twice. Started in Tassie, you? then moved here. <laughs> yeah, it's gone now, unfortunately. <laughs> I would have loved to have it, but it's not here. <laughs> um, went through school. That was all, all normal in high school. I thought maybe I'll be a nurse or I'll get into who knows at that point, really. I was who just does, trying to get yeah. through school. Yeah. And then once I finished year 12, I... Went over back to the UK for um, a few months and met some of my family, did a little bit of self-discovery. And I realised that at that point I wanted to get into something a little bit more science-y um, to see, you know, because that's, that's, that's what I'm good at. I'm good at science and um, I enjoy it. So I thought, oh, I'll try naturopathy. So I started studying oh. natural health for two years. I was going to say um, was sort of doing odd jobs here and there. Yeah. It was yeah, I know. Secretly, after every every session, I'd pop over to the lady borough that was around the corner and have a pint or two. <laughs> Good girl, excellent. Um, but then, yeah, and then, yeah, and then um, ended up moving back up into the hills and needed a job. And um, at the time, I was an avid beer drinker. Like Dad and I would go on, you know, just try all these amazing different beers, and we were home brewing. And we've got this. Um, crazy tiny little setup at home we got little stainless steel conical fermenters in the garage which unfortunately are a bit dusty these days but um yeah so we were always into it and um I was like oh I'm, I'll try and get a job at this brewery it's just around the corner they make good beer it'll be really fun and um I walked in the door had a good conversation with um the front of house manager at the time and um got the job so I started in front of house and I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with craft beer. I fell in love with the pony and uh, what makes them so great, which is just the culture and um, their values. And it was like I'd been like just in this world forever. Yep. And I realised very quickly that 
I was becoming so intrigued and obsessed with the production process and the equipment. And I had a very like sort of cheeky chat on the side to um, Grant, who was our front of house manager, and said, "Oh, I think, I think this is it. I think I want to. I think I want to get into brewing." <laughs> um, I didn't really think much of that. I sort yeah. of let it go. Finished my shift, went home, had a few beers with Dad, yeah. and then uh, Karina came up. Oh, I heard you're a bit keen, and I was, you know, <laughs> oh, not, I didn't yeah. expect this, and. Um, anyway, I had a meeting with Frank and Corinna. I laid it down. I said, this is what I want to do. I really want to brew. I want to learn about it. And it all sort of started. So I started my first few shifts in production. Um, I also joined the Pink Boot Society, which is amazing. I highly recommend any woman going into this industry. Sign up straight away. Most amazing people you'll ever meet. Um, I'll get more into that a bit later, though. Um, and then, yeah, so I started on the bottling line. Cleaning tanks, transferring, drinking lots of beer. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, so I started as a trainee brewer. I did my traineeship through um, Prancing Pony, obviously. I did my um, IBD certificate as well. Um, so that was uh, an amazing tool, knowledge. Highly recommend going and doing just, just a course if you're trying to get in. It's just, it's so important to have the backing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from that, I just started brewing more and more and more. And um, sort of, yeah, as you, as you said, sort of went up the ranks a bit and, yeah, so now I'm here. It's been five years and I absolutely love it. We have an incredible team, constantly growing, and it's just I never thought I would do it, but I can't imagine myself doing anything else. <laughs> That's fantastic. Now, obviously being in the industry, you started like many people do, as you say, on the bottling line or front of house first and then sort of indicating that you've got an interest and then the brewer yeah. takes you on, which is really cool. Would you recommend that way to brewers going forward or would you rather wish you'd done your um hundred percent. Really? A- amazing. That's really cool. Because uh, we always hear the other way no, around No, because, because I think... I think uh, these days, because it's just so hard, I was in the absolute best place at the right time and I had... Corinna and Frank backing me, supporting me 100%, and I was really lucky with that. Um, I don't know if that happens with everybody else in the industry. Um, As I said, I got really lucky, and I, of course, wanted to get myself educated because I think that that is the best way. You you want to be a professional brewer, you should probably have a professional certificate. (laughs) That's how I see it anyway. And also it just... It gives you the backing and confidence that you probably wouldn't have if you're just learning on the spot. And it also gives you an awareness of how other breweries work. Whereas if you're only doing an in-house traineeship or learning on the job, with experience, yes, you will get that maybe in five, ten years. But by doing this certificate as well or, or you know, a TAFE course or there's a university degree, I think that it gives you a much broader spectrum of what to expect and perhaps even how you can make improvements that the other people might not. Not, might not even know yeah. but I certainly do recommend if you're trying to get into the industry certainly get yourself on a cert but also just try and get yourself in because you're not going to be able to go from never brewing in your life oh I've got this certificate to being a head brewer that's not how it works <laughs> <laughs> you know it, it comes with experience and everybody has to start out somewhere so yeah absolutely if you can get yourself in cleaning or front of house or pouring beers you know anything just try and get in, get your foot in the door, I think is the best way to do it. And then you can find your way around. Absolutely. That's my experience anyway. And from the people that I'm very close to in the industry, that's always been the way it's gone. Mm -hmm. 
And why did you pick an IBD course rather than, I know South Australia do a TAFE course now, I think. Was that available at time? No, well, it sort of was. It was at, at that point in time, to be completely honest, it was not happening. Um, it just wasn't quite there yet. Um, so I decided to go with the IBD and I'm very glad that I did. Um, we've got other people doing the TAFE traineeship now and I think it's working a little bit better and it seems to be um, giving people that little confidence boost that they need as well as, you know, getting themselves educated, which is amazing. I think in the next couple of years um, it'll certainly develop into more structure and, you know, have a little bit more <laughs> fine lines. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, for me, I chose to do the IBD because as far as I was aware, that was the most, you know, internationally recognised at that time. Um, it was the most available to me at that time and I could still work um, full time and study that at home. Yeah, and that's key, isn't it, really? I think a lot of people do want to do it, but then they can't leave, leave their jobs. They've got families to look after or rent to pay or whatever. Yeah. And they need to be able to do both really, rather than maybe spend three years at uni or whatever um, later in the game. Yeah. And you have to be, you have to be ready to make the whole life as well at that point, you know, <laughs> you have to sleep go, it, All right, breathe I want to, I actually want to exactly wake up, think about beer. By the time it's nine o'clock, you're doing sensory because you know, that's when your nose is freshest. And yeah, I, I've recently done the first part of the scissor and I'm definitely going to be doing the second one. We've been doing in-house sensory training and stuff like that, which has just been amazing. And Pink Boots has just had this pathway to judging training program that they've done online um, for their members. And that was a really helpful tool as well. So I'll definitely be getting into the scissor. But yeah, the more education, the better. Like, and that's no, no different to anything else you'd do in life, you know. But I just, yeah, I think, yeah, there is a lot of people out there that don't have them. That's completely fine. But um, for me personally and um, for other people coming into the industry, to give yourself a chance at getting a job, I'd get the qualification. Yeah, that's it. And you're right, Just it's, anything, you know. Exactly. It's becoming more competitive now as well. That's the thing. Like you see more and more brewers coming in. Yeah. Although we do, we have had shortages and there's still skills shortages. But the more people that come in the more you want there to be potentially a bit of uniformity in terms of treatment of beer quality and um, cleaning regimes and you need even to like have the a basic standard, stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, is that fair to say? Or am I just pulling that one out? Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think, I mean, of course, you can bring people in, train them from scratch, and that's absolutely great. But people still need to understand the importance of hygiene and um, raw material and how that's kept and mm. And in terms of your role at Prancing Pony then, who was your like main mentor or manager or who taught you the most, I guess, so far? Oh, definitely Frank. And um, I mean, you know, the, we've had other um, senior brewers as well. They've been absolutely incredible. But Frank has been um, an absolute rock, you know, like he's taught me so many things because he comes from a different, you know, different backgrounds as well. Like he's got... Um, the engineering side of things and he sees things in this different way that I never even thought, you know, that you can't get taught on paper, you know, how to fix little bits and bobs, but also when it comes to science breakdown of particular brewing methods and stuff like that, he's definitely been absolutely incredible and I'm just so lucky. And in saying that as well, Corinna has as well because I'm not necessarily with brewing, but in terms of, confidence and being you know independent becoming who I am and having this um 
the the strength I guess to talk she's really helped with that because coming into this industry is quite difficult if you maybe have a bit of insecurity or you know you're you can be quite easily outspoken and she's given me all these tools and really really supported and pushed me in the right direction there as well so um they both mentored me in very different ways but yeah It's hard to explain. (laughs) (laughs) And that is amazing. And I think that's really cool. But I mean, this is a question I've asked Danielle and Jane at Two Birds. Why haven't we got more women in brewing? Why are there so few women that are brewers? I mean, I engage with a lot more women on lots of aspects of the brewing industry, a lot of them in marketing, for instance. So inevitably, I'll have more contact with them. But there aren't as many as I would want in terms Mm. of the face of the business, in terms of the brewers. Um, Why do you think that is? Unfortunately, I think there still is that kind of like stigma of, you know, boy brewers and um, it is still very male dominated. We are are slowly getting there, I think. Um, Since I've started, I've seen so many different faces pop up and it's been absolutely incredible having everybody, you know, again on on Pink Boots as well. So being part of that um, society is great because you see everybody. They're right right there, but if you go searching there, unfortunately, it's not that many. To be honest with you, I'm not sure. Perhaps it's it's something that we will see more of later down track. I, I wonder whether the opportunities are always there. Um, they were for me, but I don't know whether they're there for everybody else in other workplaces. I would hope so. I would really hope so. Um, and I hope that people are encouraging people to make that decision that this is the, the best thing to do. But I think the more that we push and the more that we educate people and, yes, we're here and, yes, we know just as much as you do and we love beer just as much, if not more, than you do. <laughs> so, <laughs> if not more, Absolutely. I think the more the merrier and I think we should continue to support and educate um, the diversity and I think we'll continue to see growth of Mm -hmm. females in the industry for sure. That's it. But I think it's going to take a bit more time, unfortunately. And I don't know about you, but I also think that from especially being in Pink Boots, I know that there are loads of women in the industry, but maybe it's more of a visibility thing sometimes. I'm like yeah. maybe you as well, Eden, you said that Karina gave you that kind of confidence and helped you to be able to um, speak out, be a bit louder maybe. And I only managed that because Matt gave me the opportunity to do more on Radio Brews News and do some more podcasting and things like that and put myself out there a little bit. Um, But I think, especially if you're a brewer, you want to brew and you want to be brewing. You don't necessarily want to be the face of the business and you kind of leave that to other people sometimes, whether you're a man or a woman or anything. Mm. So it doesn't, I think it might even be just a maybe a marketing and PR thing. Is that fair or is that not right? Am I completely making that up? For me, at least, it's important to be able to support your brand as well. And so yeah. if, if they would like to have a photo of you, I don't think I don't think there's any harm in that. But if they're trying to push, 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 push in a, in a sense where you're uncomfortable and you don't want to mm-hmm. be in that sort of uh, light, um, yeah. 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 That's, okay. um, mm. Hopefully that's not happening to too many of our wonderful people out there. Oh, yeah, surely not. Um, surely not. I think before, certainly, though. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, we've touched on lots of issues going on in the brewing industry right now. And obviously, the diversity is really key. We had uh, in the US industry, um, the allegations of sexism early in the year. Was that a surprise? Did you think... Oh, well, that's standard. Or what what was your what were your reactions? to Uh, It's sickening. 
firstly. I don't think there's ever an excuse. It is disgusting. Um, oh, it just makes me so angry. It doesn't surprise me and that's what's so sad. Yeah. Um, I've never experienced anything like that, thankfully, and I, I don't know anybody close to me that has in this, you know, within working in this industry. Um, but there definitely is obstacles being a woman in the industry, you know, you quite often you're outspoken, but, you know, this is obviously sexual assault is very different to this. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, oh, it's just awful. I, yeah. Nah. I get you. I get you. I mean, obviously that is so far at the end of the spectrum, obviously horrifying. And, again, something that we yeah. should keep in mind um, going forward as an industry. Obviously the IBA have done their code of conduct and things like that. So there are moves mm. being made towards that, which is fantastic. But in terms of, mm. like we sort of mentioned like smaller things, like not necessarily to that extreme. Do you feel that there are things out there? Like you've obviously not at Prancing Pony probably, but like in the wider industry. Yeah, as I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So at at the Pony, I'm really lucky. Our team work really, really well together. Um, Full of respect. It's fantastic. However, there have been instances within the industry where, as I said, being outspoken, you're not listened to, you get shut down. And that's where I found that, you know, Karina has really helped me in that way to build that confidence, but also getting the education, um, self-knowledge, having lots of Googling, backing yourself up and not standing down just because somebody doesn't want you to speak is the best thing someone can do to prevent that. Communicating with other people, you know, whether that be through Pink Boots, they'll support you. Um, But this is the thing is that it does happen and it's quite disheartening um, and it can make for a pretty crappy day if you just feel like you're talking to a blank wall. Um, And the other thing is laziness, having to clean up after other people because they, you know, they just know you would. You're not, what I've actually written, I have written this down actually. This is for other people in the industry who find this. You are not their cleaner. Work together and be transparent because half the time they don't actually realise they're doing it. And if you speak to them openly, it makes things work so much better. So um, communicating completely transparently and being open when you are frustrated, you know, don't don't completely lose lose your head. But by being open and talking about it and saying, actually, what you've just said is not on, they'll go, oh, I didn't realise most of the time. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I think I think I'd be scared to have a go at you. To be fair, Eden, hopefully you rule with fear at Prancing Pony. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. Just oh little. no! Again, we've got such a good team. They just <laughs> don't no need ruling to. needed. Don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. On that one, obviously, you've mentioned communication. So, how do you think breweries can be more inclusive? Everyone, I know that is a really tricky, wide umbrella type of thing but is there a way that we can make breweries more uh open to women and lgbtqi and lots of other groups of people how do we do that is that possible i think it's just a matter of being respectful and supporting everybody the same way being aware that other people have and this is just in in general no matter who you are is everybody's got different qualities never rule them out use them you know Mm -hmm. and I just think that 
if the community if the communication is good like you know, have have weekly meetings and have that conversation how was the week how would it be better and if if there's an issue it generally is brought up in those as well but in even in the hiring process as well just be completely open and just understand and just be completely blind because it it doesn't matter so long as somebody has something to bring to the table they've got amazing quality again i think just respect and understanding is the way to go yeah i mean we could definitely talk about this one all day um but let's go Mm. a little bit let's go a little bit wider um so what are your thoughts on the brewing industry right now We've obviously seen some major movement in terms of takeovers, buyouts in the past couple of years of like some major players. Is that an opportunity for smaller brewers like Prancing Pony? Is that detrimental to the industry in any way? What do you think? What's what's the verdict? Oh, look, I think for any business, it just depends on their business model and their business plan. If that's what they plan, great, good for them. And if that's what works for them, awesome. Um and everybody's growing there's heaps more people entering in and so the more the merrier our customers have far more beers to choose from it's been you know i think that's really great in terms of buyouts and stuff like that that's a question for Karina and frank i'm not part of that conversation but, <laughs> we'll leave them to that um, yeah. <laughs> i can't imagine them yeah selling out though, those guys. <laughs> don't think they'd like to be told what to do oh no <laughs> oh, oh brilliant. yeah but yeah i think it's i think I don't, uh, yeah, it's hard. I think whatever whatever the business plan is, I think that's, you know, that's up to individual businesses and their people. Yeah, that's it. And obviously, Prancing Pony, part of the IBA, so independence is a, a big thing, isn't it? Yeah. Is that what, what is sort of like internally talked about as well? Yeah, absolutely. We're really proud to be independent and um, I've been along to many of these IBA meetings and it is really great to see that they're supporting each other and, you know, they've got that little stickle on the label, that seal of independence, and it's it's so important to have. It's something that goes, yep, this is us, this is what we do, we're small, let's support each other, <laughs> you yeah. know. But, I mean, like you say, there's more coming up every minute. Um, Prancing Pony, well established. Is there going to be a point where we get too saturated in the market, where it becomes too competitive? hard to say because I think that people are still going to people have their breweries that they want to go back to and the more that are coming in yes that means a lot more uh opportunity to try different beers and stuff like that but there's still going to be people going back um and even though yes there is a lot of growth it just means that we all have to make better beer I think absolutely absolutely because I think that our our customers and you know our beer drinkers are becoming more and more educated on fault or fermentation issues or they just maybe have very specific beers that they like so if they only like one style of beer and suddenly there's three or four different styles and yes sure you might notice that you might be losing some traction there but I think that more people are drinking beer and I think that by that point, I think we're. I think it, I think we're, it's all going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be all right. <laughs> I don't really know how to answer it because to me, I just think the, the more the merrier, and it's yeah. just more options for our customers. Yeah. Um, and the people who love you keep coming back, so long as you keep making good beer. That's how I see it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. Yeah. On that front, then, what about all these trends that are happening at the minute? We've got all sorts of stuff going on. We've got 
pastry beers, we've got seltzers, we're doing, there's lots of breweries <laughs> doing non-beer yeah. things. Like, what what do you think of all those things? Has Prancing Pony got anything on the go like that? Like, what what's your opinion of all these trends? I love it, because I, I think it, it's like fashion, you know. <laughs> if we were an industry, it's just like the fashion industry. You know, you've got these exciting new, incredible, triple-aged whiskey sours with you know essence of iris or something (laughs) and that is really exciting for people to try and I think that the more people that try it the more people that love it they're more likely to go back and drink it however if they drink it they don't like it they're probably not going to drink it again um but just like for example the brew IPA had a rise and fall um very very quickly and that's why I wanted to make one because I like things that are not trendy and <laughs> I like going back and trying things that have been and gone to try, try and see what happens. And the, the most amazing thing about this is because Pinkers is in the tank now, which is the beer that I've made, mm-hmm. and it was been the most amazing experience because I just wanted to try out this new yeast, which is why I wanted to do a brute. Um, so for those who don't know, a brute is basically a champagne cross IPA and it's very, very, very dry, very little bitterness and very much hoppy, you know, tropical, fruity. Um, so I thought that sounds lovely because I like dry beers. Um, and so I just thought, why not? I'll just do it. And I've pitched this yeast, which is the DA16 yeast, never used it before. Mm-hmm. It's finished fermenting in two days oh. and <laughs> it's the most yeah. crazy yeast <laughs> I've ever used. And, yeah, it's brilliant. Um but yeah, that's just that's just how the geese goes. But it's just one of those things where this is what I love so much about the industry is the raw materials make it so much more exciting. And you can just change one thing or just go, I'm just going to make a beer with this yeast and see what happens. And you have no idea what it's going to do. Mm-hmm. You've got no idea how it's going to turn out. But you might make something, you might come up with a new style. Um, but it's just so exciting to see how these beers turn out and um, maybe it sticks around because everybody loves it or maybe it's a fad and it fades away. Yeah. But I, I I think it's so exciting. <laughs> Definitely. As long as I get to try them all, then I'm perfectly happy. Try whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So is there anything that you uh, would love to work with, a type of yeast, a type of hop, or that you already have done and you were like, that was amazing, it turned out really well? Yeah, well, I mean – uh, we made the Pagan's Empire, which was a while ago now, um, and this was our first time using high um, uh, high amounts of rye in our grist bill. Mm-hmm. And, of course, for those of you who ever brewed with rye, it kind of turns to glue. Um, <laughs> so the louders were painful and it was the most sort of long, challenging brew, but it just tasted so good. <laughs> um, it was a rye IPA and it's got that amazing spiciness to it and it just had stone fruit and pine and it was just like my perfect perfect palette for me yeah um but yeah that that was probably my favorite one back in the day excellent um but yeah I like experimenting with yeast um I find it really exciting because the change is drastic Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but also experimenting with the new world hops you know with flavors that you can't get from anywhere else coconut or mint or you know all those things that you know you haven't really found in beer up until a couple of years ago so it's really exciting um and I'm just gonna keep going with it (laughs) (laughs) excellent so tell me about Pinker then um your beer that you're brewing 
so yeah so pink is um pink is was my nickname growing up um obvious for obvious reasons <laughs> my dad always used to call me pinkers and yeah so i just you know i've been here for a fifth of my life and i sort of said that it was actually at beer and barbecue i was chatting along with frank and i was like i've been brewing for a fifth of my life here and they're like all right well you could better make a beer then um <laughs> is that anything yeah, to you, know, to, to, you know to, to celebrate you know like yeah. it um yeah, so I thought I'd make something a little bit wacky, but, you know, still sticking towards our little malt, yeast, mm-hmm. hops and water. Of course. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so this is a um, sort of very light amber uh, brew IPA. I've used Eldorado, Sabra, Citra and Amarillo. So it's a, a very fruity style brute. It's actually now down to minus platone, so it is very very dry um i've just tried it just before um, after coming back from my holiday so it was a nice surprise to see it going really well (laughs) (laughs) and um it's amazing because that yeast profile has actually come through as well it's obviously quite an estuary yeast because you ferment quite high so it's actually got a little bit of uh banana apple strawberry that comes through as well which is um i'm really happy about so it's it's actually on paper got no sugar but when you drink it, those hops are really sweet and fruity. Mm-hmm. So you sort of, it doesn't feel as dry. Um, I'm really, I'm really excited. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to zhuzh it up as well so that it's nice and sparkly. And um, I'm really keen to see what people think of it because I think this is an underrated style and I think it died out too quick. <laughs> oh, bring it back. You're bringing it back, Eden. You'll be all right. <laughs> Starting the new wave. Yeah. <laughs> I like Starting that. Though. That is cool. Yeah. That I like really it cool. when things come back in fashion. You know, the lagers are back in fashion again. Yeah, that's it. So Flares. Flares came knows. back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, brilliant. Um, lovely. And I mean, one thing, well, another thing that's very interesting about your career is that you have been in South Australia for pretty much the entirety of it uh, yeah. in the, your brewing career. How, what's, what's the beer and brewing industry like in South Australia? How do you find it? How, what's it like? Well, I mean, obviously it's beautiful. You know, you've got the backdrop of, of the Adelaide Hills, which is just stunning. Um, more and more breweries are popping open now, which is awesome. Um because I, I like brewery hopping, so it's fun for me. Um, for me, I, because I've never brewed anywhere else, I don't I don't see a difference, you know. And I actually think that because we are near the wine region, um, more people are looking for those intense flavours when they're actually drinking beer. So instead of turning to a Forex Gold and they drink Shiraz, they're more going for a, an India Red Ale because it, it's got that fruit bowl, you know, that they expect in a wine. So, you know, I... I I haven't noticed a difference. I'm sure there probably is, but again, I haven't actually worked. I haven't. I haven't brewed anywhere else. Yeah. But I, I think, as far as, from what I can tell, like when I was in front of house, when when a wine drinker would come in and they go, "Oh, I don't like beer," and they try India Red or they try uh, hot work on, you know, something with a, a bit of oomph and a little bit of character, they go, "Wow, this is different. This is not what I was expecting because they're used to drinking, you know, like very light standard lagers." Mm-hmm which is nothing wrong with them. Don't get me wrong. Don't diss them. Somebody made them with love. So. 
<laughs> oh, brilliant. I really like that as well because I think, like I mentioned um, earlier, we were talking about um, a lot of other wine-growing regions like Margaret River, Hunter Valley, and then they're also having mm. their a lot of breweries pop up now. There's either some that have been well-established yeah. there or there's been a few new ones. I wonder what the relation, or I was just thinking the other day what the relationship between breweries and wineries are in these regions. Is it very much like symbiotic or do people go for one or do people go for the other? What What have you seen where you guys are? I think people go for both. Brilliant. Oh, that's a good I one. think it just depends on the person's preference. Yeah. But someday people wake up, they go, I want to go and go on a wine tour and I'm going to, you know, go get all dressed up and um, hop from winery to winery and, you know, go have a nice cheese lunch or, you know, something like that. Whereas, you know, some people go, I want to go on a brewery tour and drink pints and pints and pints. I think it just depends on the person's preference. Yeah, that's it. Isn't that interesting, though, that, that we're developing like this? Very cool. It is, an, it is an interesting one as well because I don't know about South Australia so much, but I know that in other states, Queensland in particular, beer is often seen as like, in inverted commas, a lesser lesser drink than wine. So it's like something that's a bit more, like I don't know, throwaway, a bit more, you just drink it at the pub, you don't think about it as much, whereas wine is considered, and, and it's it reflected in lots of things, um, the wine equalisation tax, lots of things like that, um, from a regulatory point of view as well as a cultural point of view. Have you found that as well, or is it not so bad? I've seen it, I've seen it, but I, I am the complete opposite when it comes to drinking wine. Mm-hmm. Um, I still enjoy a very nice glass of wine, don't get me wrong, but I'd much rather have a bad wine than a bad beer. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, for me, yeah, I'm more picky with my beers, so I think, again, it depends on who you are, and I think that that's changing. I reckon that there are more people drinking beer, finding flavours, and going, you know what, I'd rather have a session on this. I guess with wine there's generally depending on how they're making it, you know, that if it's a, a very old bottle of wine, of course, they can sell it for bloody hundreds. But, yeah, I hope that changes because it takes it takes a lot of work to um, create these recipes and um, execute these beers the way that we want to. Um, this is the same with everybody in the industry. So I think it's only fair it gets appreciated in the same way as wine because it's it's no, it's no easier. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, it takes effort and it takes work and it takes art in a sense as well so I reckon that's going to change excellent when you're making a beer at Prancing Pony then are you thinking about local tastes are you thinking about tastes of tourists maybe not in the past couple of years but um what, what who do you think about when you're brewing a beer or is it purely like what you and Frank would like to do that day <laughs> well, I think it's important to keep in mind your audience and um, the people that are going to be drinking your beer of course you need to be aware of what's trendy um we're lucky we've got like 14 core range beers so we've got (laughs) something for everybody at the moment but when when there is a huge trend and you know people really want a hoppy lager for example it is good to brew that beer it is good to try and make something that people want and we generally would base it on style guides as well as what kind of experience we want our customer to have uh, so we try and stick to, um, we just want to make people happy and drink good beer, really. So you wouldn't want to make something that nobody's going to drink. Absolutely. Definitely not. Don't be sick. Absolutely not. Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, I know, and this is, and I feel really terrible because I always have to ask this question whenever I speak to anyone. How was COVID okay. for Prancing Pony? Was it 
horrifying? Was it okay? Did you learn anything from it? Well, for the the very first part of COVID when it was really bad, um, I actually had a broken foot. So I was off the kit for a little while. So unfortunately, poor, uh, you know, poor team. It was was pretty hard on them. And of course, it's been hard for absolutely everybody. And even though in SA we've been quite lucky, you still don't know what the steps are. You still don't know um, if your job's stable or if the rules will stick around and what will fall. Um, prices of ingredients, customer service all changes. With people working from home, you might not get your orders on time. You know, lockdowns and people being so afraid to come out. And, and for good reason, you know, nobody wants to get sick. But, yeah, it's been that fear factor and not being able to sell beer out of our tap venue, obviously, is not good. Uh, but things are getting a lot better now and I think in SA we're very lucky. Um, same as in Brizzy at the moment, you know, it's sort of quite similar. Yeah, that's it. But, yeah, it's um, it's been hard. We're getting through it just like everybody else. Um, you just do what you can. Yeah, that's it. But, yeah, we certainly felt it. We obviously heard through the height of COVID that it was a massive impact on people's package. Everyone was frantically going for canning and uh, poor East Coast and other mobile canners were completely oh, yeah. rushed off their feet. <laughs> um, but Prancing Pony has always been quite strong in packaged mm. uh, in, from my perception of it. Has that been a major issue for you guys then? Uh, it's certainly good, but we have the capacity to be able to do it. So for us, it um, it was okay. We had the canner there. We had the bottler there. Obviously, kegs um, fell behind because we couldn't sell them. Um but for us, we, we've got the equipment, um, so we're very lucky in that sense. Um, but it was a lot of work <laughs> to get those, to get everything into cans and having all those tanks full. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, it, it was full on. <laughs> but I think in that sense, that, you know, when you go through a change where everything goes into cans, it's a little bit, um, you get a little bit hesitant. Everybody's a bit hesitant and then it's like, go, 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 you've got to do it now, <laughs> you know, and... <laughs> So, yeah, those the mobile canning guys, I, I, oh I can only imagine how busy they would have been. <laughs> I don't think they've slept for a lucky year or two now, um, but <laughs> they no, do us proud. No. They do us proud. But, I mean, that's a great thing that you guys were already set up for that. Obviously, being an established brewer, you kind of had these things in place, which meant that you could, and God forbid I say it again, but pivot while this was all happening. So did you learn anything? Were you like, oh, God, we should have focused on our online store more or we need to do more distribution? What what was the verdict? Did you learn anything from it? I think we could go through all the things we can do better, but we did the best that we could in the time that we had to figure out what we needed to do. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody was prepared for this. I think everybody's done extraordinary, both the people here at Prancing Pony. I'm so proud of everybody. But also the other, everybody else, like we've gotten through it and it was hard and it's, no, I don't think that we should think about the things we can <laughs> do better because it was just a matter of getting it done and surviving mm-hmm. um, and, and just changing your whole, the whole way you do things. I know that we, yeah, we did have a lot of focus on online online sales and online ordering for food and bits and pieces and trying to send stock over, you know. So I'm, it was very intense, but yeah. I... You know, there's always things that you can do differently or better, but, you know. Yeah, definitely. I think we did pretty well. 
Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely smashed it. And, I mean, we've mentioned Brizzy already, and you were just here over the weekend, I believe, in sunny old Brisbane. Um, yeah. Did you go anywhere brewery-wise? Any recommends for our listeners? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Newstead, Newstead Brewing was great. Went to Range, um, Green Beacon. Beautiful. And actually, um, Tipler's Tap is not a brewery, but they're an amazing bar um, that's in South Bank. I recommend going to as well. Um, oh, fantastic. I was going to say, really Ethan, awesome you managed to bar. get around there. I'm very impressed. <laughs> oh, I, I had a lift. I didn't fill up the list, but I had a lift. Um, oh, brilliant. I think it's important when you're in the industry to pop around to different places places especially when you're interstate and sort of get an idea of what the palettes are because they are very different oh really how do you find it up here versus um, south australia then oh i found there was a a huge drive for napers um and hazy beers which is great i love them as well um but it just seemed to be far more driven that way um and of course there were a lot more lighter styles as well that were available for people who don't want to uh, drink a eight percent beer on a thirty degree day. So um, <laughs> yeah, over there, that's you know what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, it's quite much humid. More it's quite humid up there. Yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah. Oh god, um, <laughs> it is. Um, but yeah, I just think that it's nice to try. And nice. also with the water, the water is completely different, and um, you know, you taste differences. And it's oh, I just everybody should be drinking. Yeah, that's drinking it. beer, that's and especially when it's made in your. Uh, back garden effectively and like you say when you travel elsewhere and you try it elsewhere like I was up in Cairns and went to Hemingway's on the weekend and the setting and then the beer itself was just spot on and you were like this is what you want Mm. it might not work that might not work in South Australia or in the Blue Mountains or whatever yeah I've been to Hemingway's as well that was fun yeah (laughs) just on the beachfront what a brilliant spot as well yeah they've done well there they've done they've done well um all right well before I let you go then Plans for the future, Karina and Frank. You, what have you got going on? What's what's Prancing Pony doing the next couple of years? What <laughs> oh, you what to, you brewing? Well, we're going to keep making lots of different beers, obviously, because that's what we like to do, and continue making our amazing core range, and just keep pumping out great, outstanding beers. Is is the idea, and just keep going, keep keep improving, keep learning, and enjoying it, and having fun while we do it. Beautiful. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much. And definitely training up more people and, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's a good plan. Yeah. Oh, I think getting people in the industry and starting them from scratch is amazing. And Prancing Pony, absolute kudos to them for doing that with you, which it's amazing. It's a great story. And thank you so much for sharing it with us, Eden. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you for having me. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at bruisenews.com.au. All letters received will receive a Bruise News bottle opener. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because beer is a conversation. Thanks for listening to that conversation. Now, here's a little bonus for you. 
as I hear from Lark Distilling's master distiller, Chris Thompson, who tells me a little bit more about Lark's collaboration with brewer Wolf of the Willows. I asked Chris, what is it about this whiskey and beer that really works for him? Firstly, let's start about what's amazing about this collaboration in terms of the liquid. The liquid that we take is completely polar opposite to a Johnny Smoke Porter. So the whiskey component is this bright, fun, fruity, tropical piece. Right? And then the beer is like this dark, heavy, velvety, incredibly thick, viscous. You know, it's got bitter and it also has, has sweet that play off each other. So that's the beer. And when you bring them together, then what happens is the, the whiskey is kind of like a, a prism. So you think Pink Floyd for me. You have the prism and the, the beer shines through it. But what, the, what it does, by adding extra brightness, uh, lift and alcohol to the beer, it separates the beer out. And then you can see every single component that made that beer. When we're making the whiskey, in our mind, what we're trying to do is showcase the beer in a different way. Now, the Johnny Smoke Port is such a complex and rich beer, but with the alcohol of the, of the whiskey coming through it, then you can see each of those each of those components. That's the magic of this this whiskey, um, and the magic of the, the collaboration. Like in all seriousness, being a whiskey nut for fifteen plus years now, there is not a single whiskey on the planet that looks like this. It does everything that you would expect a whiskey to do, but in a completely different way. Um, and it's yeah, it's like it's exhilarating, it's exciting, like no other whiskey. Yeah, well, it was probably it's my favorite whiskey to make every year because of that. So as a distiller with 15 years' experience, what has Chris learned from his experience in partnering with a brewer? Yeah, probably that I'm a bit dumb. So I've, I started off and was like, no, nah, this isn't going to work. There's no chance that I'll, you know, this whole thing. I was so sceptical. And then we went through sort of one. So we sort of take different casks that look a bit different and we mix it with the beer and be like, what does it taste? Like, oh, it doesn't taste very good. And we did that about seventh time, where it was actually the very last whiskey um, sort of representation of the portfolio of what our casts have that we tried that it was like, oh, wow, that's, like, incredible. We have to do this. And at that point, I don't even think I'd spoken to Scotty. I think um, one of my outsiders, Johnny, had been speaking to, to Scotty about it, and I called Scotty. I was like, we've got to do this thing. I'm excited now. So um, what I learned was that I don't know what I'm talking about, at least five years ago. Don't trust your instincts and try everything. Um, and then from there, there what we try to do each year is provide the same backbone of flavour, um, but do it in a slightly different way. So if Chris was surprised that this collaboration could work, how has that changed over the course of five iterations of this whiskey? You know, Wolf Number 1 was just about um, a pure expression of balance. Wolf Number 2 was um, trying to provide the most of this sort of prism experience with the, the beer shining through and just showcasing. The third one was about excess. Absolutely, there should be too much of everything going on all of the time. It was just this outrageous, over-the-top thing. The Wolf Number 4, which is my favourite, it's actually my favourite whiskey um, that we've done in my 15 years, so of, you know, 500,000 whiskies that I've blended. Um, that's my number one. I've got three bottles at home and they seem to... Uh, it used to be four bottles, so it's probably, probably a pretty good sign. Wolf number four was, to me, just this balanced experience that just it just showcased everything that was great in the beer and just it was just a little piece of um, exhilaration. It's just every time I try it, I just can't believe how much is going on in that. 
uh, how easily you can see every component of the beer, but also the whiskey, but it's only flashes really quickly as it moves on to the next experience, I suppose, the next flavor. And then this year, this year is the one with the most beer in it. So usually what would happen is that we'd fill the casks all the way up with the whiskey to soak the beer out. But we haven't done that this year. We've actually only sort of 60% filled them. So the ratio of beer to whiskey is way higher. And so this year, the, the beer sits as this kind of solid block within the whiskey and it just showcases it in a completely different way, which is just really magical. And then if you add water to the whiskey, which sort of changes the surface tension, then it just erupts and launches out, which is just, yeah, there's no whiskey like it on the planet. And it's just, as you can tell, I get pretty excited. Finally, with so much detail already provided, I asked Chris just how this whiskey is made. In terms of making this thing, there's this like horrific logistics thing that you've got to go through. So we send barrels of whiskey or, or barrels that have held classic cask, which is one of, uh, I think it's the most popular Australian whiskey ever sold, I think. So it's like, it's our one of our flagships and it's just yeah, if you haven't tried it, definitely try it. It's pretty cool. So these are export and sherry whiskey um, barrels, mostly from Sebelsfield Winery, and mostly the wood for those will be at least 100 years old. So they would have held wine in it, and then they've held fortified either a sherry or a port in it for, you know, 60, 70 years, probably refilled a couple of times, sort of, you know, through its period. But, yeah, generally generally around 100 year old um, in terms of when it was chopped down as a tree. We get those, we fill it full of our whiskey, then we empty our whiskey out, send them straight up to Melbourne, to um, to Wolf, to, to Scotty. Scotty puts the beer in it, so it soaks out all this kind of porty, sherry, sweet um, whiskies, um, raises the ABV. But then we have an issue because if, if Scotty just empties the barrels out and then sticks the buns back in and shoot, ships them back to us in Tassie, then the chance of oxidisation, the chances of the beer changing in a really negative way, you know, infection as well, are really high. And so the good thing about the product that we make being, you know, 60 plus percent is it freezes that that process. It freezes that, you know, those changes in the barrel. And so, yeah, what we actually do is we ship the whiskey up. So we'll blend the whiskey against what last year's um, beer was, get a pretty good idea of what it should be. And then what we'll do is we'll ship the whiskey up to, to Scotty to put in the beer barrels. And so they'll empty the barrels and within 20 seconds of that barrel being emptied, there's whiskey going into that barrel. Um, and so you freeze and you capture the pure essence of that amazing beer, which is pain in the ass, to be honest, but it's, a, it's the right thing to do. It's what makes the whiskey so good. So that's a little bit about Lark's Wolf Release 5 launching on August 8 this year. I know I'm looking out for this one. Watch out for a few more chats about beer and whiskey in the coming weeks, including a chat with Scott from Wolf of the Willows. 